This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. Israel at War, Day 6, Friday, October 13, 2023. We speak today with Yaakov Katz, military affairs and political expert on the ground in Israel. He was also the editor of the Jerusalem Post newspaper for eight years. Yaakov is working around the clock to bring the most reliable and thoughtful information and analysis about the facts on the ground in Israel and the Gaza Strip. We're going to dive right in and let you hear how he assesses the situation on Friday afternoon in Israel. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, currently in Toronto, but usually living in the fabulous state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Good afternoon, Yaakov Katz, on uh, Friday, October 13th, and uh, hoping that you can bring us up to date as to what's been going on and where we're at in Israel right now. It's been a crazy week. How are you, first of all? Stressed, anxious, like the rest of Israel. Yeah. Well, uh, th- that's like become the the new mood walking through you know i walked i took a nice long walk this morning because i needed to get out a bit in jerusalem dead just dead yeah before we get into the heavy duty military stuff and the attacks and strategy where are people like i'm reading exactly that and hearing exactly that from people on the ground it's dead where are you getting your food are stores open i've been shocked how little stores are open people are do not are not going out even like the, your your pharmacies aren't opening. Supermarkets, some aren't opening. They're opening. If they open, it's just for a few hours. No one's going outside. Schools have been canceled pretty much indefinitely. Right. They're about to the nightmare of Zoom schools, which is, was a huge failure. People aren't really going to work. It's uh, the country's in like this this waiting period, which is kind of like what the world's waiting. It's like the country is is suffering from anxiety, not sleeping, not eating, and the world is also waiting to see what Israel's going to do. And that brings us actually to the military operation. Yes which is this ground offensive that everyone kind of is anti- is waiting for with great anticipation. What will happen? What exactly will Israel do? Where is it going to go? How deep is it going to go? How much force will it come with into Gaza? But that's coming. I think everyone understands that a ground offensive is needed for two primary reasons. Contrary to what a lot in the media, and I hear and I'm interviewing a lot, Israel needs to take revenge and Israel needs to go into Gaza with vengeance. And I say to all of them is this has nothing to do with revenge. If you think it's about revenge, you don't understand what happened on Saturday. What happened right. last Saturday was a complete breach and of the border. They blew up at the border wall pretty much in like a dozen different spots. And the line of contact for how we engage with the enemy was moved into Israel. Now, you know that border, Vivian, just like I do. There's no depth. From the border yep. wall to Kfaraza is a jump. So yep. that's how they're able to go in so fast and kill so many people and take so many hostages. So you have to push that back into Gaza. We, it's, it, this is Israel's most basic national defense doctrine that goes back to 1948. Crafted by, by David Ben-Gurion, all wars need to be fought in enemy territory because we don't have territory. So if they right. make it into our territory, we already lost. And that's what happened on Saturday. When they made it in, we lost. So to win, we have to take it back there, and there we have to smash them. So that's number one, the first reason why we need the ground offensive. The second reason we need the ground offensive is the whole region's watching. Iran, Hezbollah, the Houthis, the Iranian militias in Iraq, and of course our allies around the world who are struck by the failures that occurred here and led to this disaster. Right. To all those people, we have to now show strength, power, force, and that Israel is still this country that you need to be afraid of. 
And the citizens as well, the citizens of Israel. The citizens of Israel, look, on that point, there is a huge morale problem here, right? Yes. And this has to do with a feeling of of, of great, this amazing failure that led us here, operational intelligence, but also political. Let's be honest. The, The policy of containment that the government had embraced for the last 20 years completely blew up in, in our faces. Now, the problem also is, and this people don't talk about because you know Israel, IDF and our generals are like this sacred cow that you cannot touch. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's like taboo to criticize them, especially at a time of war. But let me say, as someone who has loved ones who are now fighting and going to yes. fight, there's a huge trust deficit. Uh, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that they, at some point they're all going to need to go. The chief of staff, the head of military intelligence, the head of the Shabbat, the defense minister, and the prime minister. So all these people who are running the show right now, can we trust them that what they are doing is because it's what's right? Or is there maybe somewhere in the back of their mind the thought that they might do something that will rehabilitate and repair, and then they won't have to step down at the uh-huh. end. Foregone conclusion, but we don't have to talk about that today. That's more, much more important. And, uh, no, no, I know, but I, I just want to say one, one word about it. I don't, want to, sure. I don't want to be seen as accusing them of anything. What I'm just trying to articulate is this, the fact that I even have that thought says something about the trust deficit. It's not just me. It's everyone throughout Israel, I think, right now. No, it's a really important point that uh, I think that's a huge part of what's going on is not just the surreal breach and this incomprehensible savagery, but where were our protectors? Where were our institutional protectors? Right. And all of them, a complete, you know, void. So, yes, I think that's just, that's the next thing we'll be processing as a country. But you mentioned the uh, policy of containment. We've been hearing a lot of Hamas really doesn't want to fight. They don't have the capability. They just want their people to have more jobs. We were almost starting to rehabilitate before they were rehabilitated um, into a true national movement. And so let's give more work permits. We'll let more people from Gaza in. They can work in the villages in the area around Gaza. And it's all going to be able to provide for families. It'll be happier. It'll be more stable. And then, of course, we're reading that many of the attackers, the terrorists who came into Israel and slaughtered innocent civilians, the day before were working in those very same villages beside those people. It's one thing to have a cold, calculated, industrial-scale killing machine. It is next level to have people knowing that they are planning to kill the children and mothers and fathers who they see. Vivian, what we saw is a whole other level. This barbaric force that came in and rampaged and raped and murdered and stabbed and shot and blew up children, Holocaust survivors, pregnant women. We'll never be the same after seeing those images. You can't. I, I, I close my eyes at night and I see the burnt people in the car. I see, I, I, I haven't seen this photo, but I can only imagine the pregnant woman with her, with her womb cut open. That doesn't surprise me. These are these. The, the, I want to say they're animals, but they're not. They're human beings, and 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 what they did can only be answered with one solution: we have to kill all of them. And I know that sounds terrible, but all of the people who perpetrated this all have to die. And I think that what the, what government officials are saying, 
And I don't know that the West fully understands when Israel says this. So it's fourth mm. that get it. That about the hostages, for example, Israel says, if they hurt one of them, we will get to these people if it takes a year, five, 10, or 25. And I think some people in the West might think, oh, we're just, you know, that's bluster. Yeah, they, no, they, don't, they don't remember. They don't have long-term memories. They don't remember. We do that to people. We will catch them 20 years later and we will kill them 20 years later for what they did 20 years ago. And we're not kidding about that. These people will never be free. But in the meantime, the situation that we have, of course, is uh, terribly dire. As you said, everyone's on the edge of their seat. We're all on tenterhooks. When's the ground defensive going to start and how bad is it going to be in the world already? As you said a few days ago when we spoke, we get one to two days of empathy after carnage like this, and then they start to turn on us. Already happening. Watch yeah. out. Don't kill any civilians. This is, We're back to the equivalency already. People have forgotten that Hamas started this horrific situation. Can you comment on, on, we're not surprised, of course, but do you think that international reaction is going to in any way moderate Israel? Look, the until now, what we've seen is extremely impressive. Biden, the visit of Blinken, the visit of Austin, the Secretary of Defense, the visit of Cleverly from the UK, the German guys come in, right? You got the speech by Macron the other night, right? He right. said, basically, there is no yes, but. There's no buts anymore, Right. Everyone is pushing back on the moral equivalency. However, we all know once that ground invasion takes place, the death toll on the Palestinian side climbs and the, and the imagery is taking over. And by the way, if you watch TV, B-roll, right? So for people who don't know what's B-roll, it's when someone talks, they show images on the side. The B-roll is no longer Kfar Aza or Beiri. It is Gaza, right? So they're showing already that images of the destruction in Gaza. The conversation will change. You're already seeing like the UN is saying, don't go into Gaza. And then when Israel drops leaflets to warn people to go from North Gaza to South Gaza, because we want to operate in North Gaza, they say, no, you can't go into North Gaza. You can't displace people. So basically what the UN is saying, what Israel, you can't defend yourself. Exactly. That's it's unreal. Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. This moment in history is considered by many to be the most critical and existential in Israel's 75-year history. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited-time subscription special, a 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually, one year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. Stateoftelaviv.com, all one word. I think you have to realize two things. One is Israel has to go in. Number two, there will be a window. Is the window a week or is it two weeks or is it three? It will depend on a lot of different factors. Right? The Americans seem to be giving Israel a lot of backing, a lot of support and a lot of bandwidth. It will depend on what happens and how this plays out. Right? One errant shell that kills accidentally a couple of families will add to pressure. So the IDF knows this. I think they know that they have, speaking to them, they know they have a limited window. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that they're all saying we have all the time in the world, realistically, they know they don't. And it will really, that, that, so it, which means, in my view, if you're going to go and you got to go with force, you got to be aggressive and you got to work quickly. So I think that picking up on that, it's probably fair to say that in the next few days, I would say like one, two, three, the ground the ground attack probably starts. Who I knows? would 
But I would, yes, I would guess that it's 48 to 72 hours when this thing happens. They drop those leaflets, giving them 24 hours to leave. If we ever had a doubt in the past whether there would be a ground offensive, because we see right. as amass troops but not use them, here it seems that they're definitely going in. Yeah, uh, it's just a question of when, and they need to. There's little done. By the way, what other people need to realize: there's wall-to-wall support here in Israel for it. Right. No one in Israel thinks they shouldn't go in. Few people, but everyone understands, and there will be a price to pay. But we understand we have to because this you cannot live like this anymore. Um, have we had any word on the hostages? Their well-being, their not well-being, uh, any signs of life? No signs of life. A couple of pictures here or there, difficult to confirm exactly, but um, no signs of life. There, from Aspenada report claiming that 13 of them were killed in an Israeli airstrike. Is that true? Is that not true? It doesn't really make a difference because they could kill 13 of them and then say that Israel killed them in an airstrike. Exactly. Make a difference. Look, the message is, is a terrible story. They will need miracles that we've never seen before in this world to be able to come home. I think what Israel's thinking about right now, I don't think, I know that what Israel's thinking about right now is children, women, and the old elderly. And try to create some sort of humanitarian corridor that something is given to Hamas in exchange for those people. The men, they realize that's not going to be part of the initial, but if we can get a quick deal with that, we can we can get some quick wins. There's like 15, 20 children there. It's, and they're babies. Babies. What, yeah. Who does that? Who does that? I've been asking that question a lot. Okay, I know we don't have a lot of time, and I wanted to get into the bigger military picture. And overnight, over, I guess it was on Friday morning. Sorry, I'm in a different time zone. But at some point in the last uh, 12 hours, Hamas has been sending rockets into northern Israel, which is a first-time and not insignificant event. Talk about that a bit, please. Look, Hamas has done this twice already in the last few days where they've been, they've fired sirens go off from the north. Everyone thinks the rockets are coming from Lebanon. And it turns out they were rockets that were fired from Gaza. That's unprecedented. The furthest north that they've gotten has been around Sadeira, which is still south of Haifa, a little north of, of Netanya, let's say, along the coast. But here they're going even further north. They're getting into the Haifa area, the Carmel Mountains, and, and, and further closer to Afula even. The rocket that was fired today was intercepted. Israel has a multi-tier missile defense architecture. We're very familiar with Iron Dome, but there's also something called David's Sling, which is the medium-range rocket interception system. It had a successful interception today. First time it was used in this conflict. It shows an impressive capability by Hamas. How many of these do we have? What I hear is not too many. But so that and that shouldn't that's not going to be our big concern. The big concern right now, militarily, Israel's going into Gaza. What have they prepared for Israel? The tunnel network, the booby trapped places, the IEDs, the anti-tank missiles. They're waiting. They know Israel's coming. So they're they're kind of bunkering down or hunkering down and waiting for those tanks and infantry and engineering corps soldiers to come through. That's why the concern that I would have is that very close combat in those tight quarters where they have a bit of the element of surprise. They know we're coming, so it's very difficult for Israel to have the element of surprise. But I, So that's why I think what you will see is a, just a huge amount of force that descends on this place with such aggressiveness and really forceful that it will, sh- like a shock and awe impact almost. That That's right. what is likely be going for. Yeah, this isn't going to be any uh, <clears throat> conventional ground incursion, is it? 
I don't think so. You mentioned when we spoke earlier in the week, the fact that, look, we're going to we're going to regroup, we're going to take control and we're going to because we have to push through this. And Hamas, keep remembering people, Hamas is not an existential threat to the state of Israel. And I have to tell you, I'm sitting here in Toronto and watching from afar and listening to people talk. And there's a kind of like disjunctiveness between those two things, what we see going on the ground and Israel completely, you know, caught with its pants down, bad metaphor, but, and then not an existential threat. Help me, help me with that. I guess I look at existential threat as someone who can destroy us, right? Hamas cannot destroy us. Hamas yeah. can kill thousands of people. And unfortunately, they've had some great success this past week. But we are about to, we're, we're in the process of doing the best to destroy them and we'll probably cause some more destruction in the days or weeks to come. What makes this moment, though, an existential threat, and it's about the moment, it's not about Hamas, what makes this an existential moment is this weakness that has been discovered about Israel or uncovered and the complete erosion of our deterrence with them happening, with this failure, with the great success that Hamas had in butchering our people. And yeah. now Hezbollah watching, Iran contemplating, the whole world thinking what happened to the mighty Israel, that creates an existential challenge for Israel. And if that's why if we don't deal with Hamas correctly, the way to restore them is really to do something in Gaza to Hamas. I don't like slogans, we're going to destroy Topol because I don't know what that means. If they have five guys left, they'll say we're still here. So, you know, yeah, yeah. But, but if we degrade their capabilities in a way never thought before, if we leave Gaza in a way never imagined before, Hezbollah will get the message. Iran will get the message. That's also what Israel needs to do right now. You mentioned the erosion of deterrence, and there's another aspect that's very compelling and powerful, which is the psychological impact, the demoralization of Israelis on the one hand, but you're there, I'm not. But what I'm hearing and seeing from so many people is that, yeah, it was a huge shock and blow and holy whatever, how can this happen? On the other hand, as one young soldier put out in a viral video, and I've heard this over and over, we woke up. The lion was asleep, but we woke up and you will encounter something so fierce now you have no idea. That's not all talk, right? So we have this kind of demoralization, shock. How could this happen? On the other hand, there's the fighting Israel, and that is in the DNA. We were sleeping. They had put us to sleep and we bought into the misconception of containment. And right. that was probably the greatest strategic failure. But we're now right. awake. We're aware. And we recognize this country, this moment that we're facing to reset the Middle East and maybe to create a new order here in the Middle East, a new equation. What you're seeing, Vivian, of 150% enlistment and, and call up of reservists who are coming. One of the reasons that I know you've been dealing a lot with this, things like this, right, is in supplies and getting people things and helping people. This is that moment. This is, first of all, this is the Jewish people. We help each other. That's just the way it is. It's the beauty of our people. Sadly, we, have, we need a war to show that to ourselves, right? I wish we had a way to do that when there wasn't a war, but that's for another day. Um, but the, the, one of the reasons we're lacking equipment is because so many people showed up. They didn't expect so many people to show up. But this is, you know what you call it in Hebrew? It's a war over our homes. It's for them because they went into our homes. They went into our homes and killed our people in their homes. So we have to fight now for our homes. 
And for that reason, everybody's there. Everybody's coming to fight. Everybody wants to fight because they want to protect this country. And it's a story that you'll see in every home today in Israel. Everybody, I just gave, right before you and I spoke, I FaceTimed my daughter who's down south. How's she doing? She's doing okay. She's doing okay. We were able to get a package to her before Shabbat with somebody who found out was going there. And I gave her the bracha, the Shabbat blessing over FaceTime. And I was crying. And it's, of course, emotional and it's scary. And she's in one of the towns that was invaded. And they're there with their full combat gear, guarding and whatever. But I'm, I'm totally, of course, I'm proud of her. This is what every home in Israel looks like today. It touches every Israeli. And this is our country. We know that this is what we have to do. We have to fight. We have to send our kids to fight. We have to defend the country. I'm sure you've heard the same comments, rumors, uh, information, call it what you will, that there had actually been some sort of fragmented uh, intelligence tips and information that went to various parts of the security infrastructure in Israel. There was a meeting on Friday night and they said, "Okay, we'll go home. We'll meet again tomorrow, Saturday morning at eight, and then all hell broke loose. Is that, are you able to verify that? I got to tell you something about these stories. Okay. I, I hear them from a lot of different sources also. None of it means anything right now. Agreed. The reason it means nothing right now is because it's everybody has an agenda and everybody's pushing a narrative and everybody's yeah. trying to save face. It means nothing to me. After this war, by the way, like I spoke about in the beginning, I think the people who are responsible, there's an argument to be made that they should step down. But there's also an argument to be made that they should see through the war. Definitely, when this war is over, we will need a state commission of inquiry. They will need to be held accountable. In all of these details, we don't have to listen to leaks from the Shabak and the prime minister's yeah, office. Yeah. IDF chief said, we'll get all the troops. And that's what we have to wait for. Right now, I don't well care. Well said. It means yeah, nothing. Okay, but going forward now, we have this, in our last few minutes, we have this uh, unity government. Uh, the big boys are back with serious military experience. Just uh, remind us who's around the table um, and who's not. But who's in this security cabinet? Right, so who's running not, this war? It's not a unity government. It's a emergency war government. I just exactly. Think, it's basically, right. I think of it as like World War II Churchill's war cabinet. Correct. It's, it, it, and the distinction is important because Yair Lapid, who's the head of the opposition, did not enter into the cabinet, into the government. And that's a whole separate conversation. Why he didn't, I don't care right now. I don't either. What it, what it effectively means, Benny Gantz with his National Unity Party has entered the war cabinet or this forum, this inner war forum now consists yes. of Prime Minister Netanyahu, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, Benny Gantz. There are two observers, one of them from Netanyahu's side, Ron Dermer, former Israeli ambassador to Washington and strategic affairs minister, and from Benny Gantz's side, Gadi Eisenkot, a former chief of staff. So if you think okay. about the five, three of them can make the decisions, two are observers can influence the decisions. Out of the five, two are chiefs of staff, Eisenkot, Benny Gantz. One is a former IDF major general who was a, a candidate to be chief of staff, but then lost the candidacy and actually went to Benny Gantz. That's Yoav Gallant. We have three very powerful military experienced seasoned officers. Correct. And then Dermer, whatever we might think about him, does have diplomatic experience. And then, of course, Netanyahu, that's what it's looking like. There still is, they still will have to bring decisions to the security cabinet which will be making the big, which will be voting and making the decisions. Okay, so we'll talk maybe in future weeks, we'll talk about the diplomatic consequences of all of this and to what degree we are distracted in Israel by so many things, including our lust for this deal with the Saudis, which I believe Ron Dermer was pretty heavily involved with. 
the eye off the ball thing, as you said, that's to be discussed further down the road. Today, Israel goes into Shabbat, into the weekend, with a plan that will be executed imminently. Right? Okay. Stay safe. I know Thank you, you will. Vivian. Take good care of your family. I'm. You, you really, you made me weep quietly when you told the story about your daughter. It's absolutely beautiful. And um, it's so affirming because in the midst of all this horror, it's just so beautiful. Your daughter is fighting for Israel and you bless her from afar. I just get goosebumps all over, all over every time. Yaakov Katz, you've been so generous with your time. I know you're working hard, not just to take care of your family, but also to stay informed and speak to all of your contacts so you can get accurate and strong and good information out to the world. Let's May the force be with all of us. Amen. Especially Shabbat you guys shalom. on the ground. Shabbat shalom. Thanks Thank you, Yaakov. Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. This moment in history is considered by many to be the most critical and existential in Israel's 75-year history. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited-time subscription special, a 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually, one year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. Stateoftelaviv.com. All one word. Thanks for listening. We are committed to providing you with timely and informative updates from Israel as frequently as possible. It won't be every day, but almost. As President Emmanuel Macron of France said so powerfully and succinctly this week, there are no more buts, as in no, Hamas and the IDF are not the same. Anyone who defends the slaughter and attack on Israel is an enemy of Western civilization. There are no buts. Wake up, world. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. It would be great if you would like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Check us out at stateoftelaviv.com on Substack where you will have access to our full library of content for a limited time only. We are truly independent. We don't just say it, meaning that you will be exposed to views from across the political spectrum at stateoftelaviv.com. Me, I'm all over the place, but generally a solid centrist. State of Tel Aviv is supported by its listeners and readers. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Each member makes a huge difference. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Until next time, stay cool, stay safe, have a great weekend.